0: Seven. This is week six of, or week seven of our seven series. We've actually it's an eight-week summer series. Uh, And uh, my name is Ephraim Pena. For those of you visiting us this morning, I am the campus pastor here at South Hills. And uh, it is truly my privilege and honor to be sharing and doing life with you this morning. We hope that uh, if you're visiting us, we hope that you enjoy your time here uh, with us. We hope you feel loved and welcome. Uh, If not, grab some donut hose and a lot of coffee and you'll feel great afterwards. Uh, No, but we want to make sure that you're loved. And I would love the opportunity Uh, to get to uh, conversate with you before you uh, leave here this morning. So we are in uh, the series titled 7. And uh, uh, I was talking with my wife the other day. We were having some pillow talk. And uh, pillow talk for us is talking about church. I know I know sad. Uh, but uh we were we were talking about church and and she 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 has a a kind of a long commute uh to Palmdale uh for to for her her school and where she teaches and whatnot. And so she was like I was listening to your podcast uh and, and they've been great. Um and then she said um there's a disclaimer. You kind of give a disclaimer and you make, it kind of makes people, you know, kind of feel weird. And I said, oh, I definitely don't want people to feel weird. And so we went back and forth talking about it. And, and so um, I definitely don't want anybody feeling weird about what we've been talking about. The reality is that we need to talk about it because these are the things that we as Christians, as believers stumble upon. These are the things, these are the the, the, the cracks on the sidewalk that we kind of skip or miss and we trip over in life. These are the things that kind of chip away at, at who we are and kind of kind of when we look at, at, at our lives and say, okay, these are the things that I'm stumbling on and why am I continually stumbling upon them? Why, why can't I get past this, right? And the reason it's for it is because you haven't addressed it. In order for us to get past something that is, is causing us setbacks or causing us to stumble, we can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist, Right? We need to actually address it head on, right? And begin to say, how can I be a better follower of Jesus? How can I, how can I? Not stumble on these things. So we talked about wrath. We talked about um, uh, greed, which was last week. We talked about pride and envy and sloth. These are the things that we as Christians, right, stumble. These are the things that we trip up on. So how do we stop tripping on these things, right, and actually fix it? So in order to fix it, we need to address it, and in order to address it, we need to hear it. And so we are, this, this seven weeks or these last several weeks have been, been strong messages, but I believe it is for the betterment of us as believers. If you leave here saying, oh, he wasn't talking about me, then, then you didn't hear me <laughs> because this is what we need to hear in order to be better followers of Jesus. So today, we're going to be talking about lust. So if you have little kids with you today, now is the time to take them up to Kid Nation. Because we're about to get real this morning. All right? everyone. Can... And if you feel like a little kid, then you stay in your seat because I still think you need to hear this. All right? So let me talk or well, let me ask you this question. All right? Ever witnessed, or you heard, or or you know, somewhere where there was an over insulated, or over repressed, or an over saved Christian, and their response to uh, sexuality. In other words, you were engaged in a conversation with someone or you seen somewhere or, or seen someone or you overheard a conversation where people were talking about, about sexuality and the people talking about it uh, were, 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 were kind of like oversaved, saved or, or they made it very uncomfortable. We're not going to do that this morning here. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about, like the strict rules at a church camp, not allowing the boys and the girls to swim at the same time, called mixed bathing. Or maybe a dress code in Christian circles, only for women, though, that require them to wear boxy, long sleeve turtlenecks and dresses down past their ankles, and they couldn't cut their hair, and they couldn't wear makeup, and they couldn't do this because it would cause Another man, another person a stumble. I don't know if you've ever engaged in those conversations or you've been in that kind of setting. But the truth of the matter, for all of this overprotection, divorce, affairs, and pornography, addiction, rates are basically the same for Christians as for non-Christians. Maybe you know that and maybe you don't. Now, a common question my unchurched friends often ask me is, why is the church so obsessed with sex? And a common question that my Christian friends ask me is, why is the world so obsessed with sex? I think it's safe to say that we are all obsessed with sex just in different ways. You see, our culture is essentially divided into two categories. Those who think sex means everything and those who think it means nothing. But neither extreme appears to be working. So let me get this out of the way you can take a picture and you want it and post it. You can record it if you want. But I'm just gonna say it so it's out of the way and we can move with this topic this morning. And so everybody's on the same page. Sex is great. <laughs> just wanna get it out. I want it. <laughs> I don't want you looking at me funny. I don't want you. I got four kids. It is great. All right. One of them is here and she's probably turning red right now. (laughs) She never imagined we were talking about this today. So, got it out the way. Just out there. Sex is great. God created us as sexual beings. Our sexuality. Our bodies, our urges, our desires, the ability to recognize and be drawn to beauty and experience physical pleasure. These are all gifts from God. These are all gifts from God. When he created us, he purposely created us with this intention. And contrary to what you may have been told or you've assumed, the Bible actually talks a lot about sex. But not as merely as you might think. And a lot of it is enormously positive and kind of easygoing. But for some reason, we have complicated things. In fact... There's a whole book of the Bible called the Song of Songs dedicated to celebrating sexual love between a man and a woman in its various erotic expressions. And those of us who understand biblical poetry realize it is pretty explicit. I can't help but think that many of you are going to go home and read the Song of (laughs) Songs. Because your curiosity (laughs) is intriguing, right? A lot of us have been led to believe that the Christian view of sex is, is somewhat taboo. That for me to stand on this platform and talk about sex, oh, I don't know if pastors should be doing this. Oh, but we are doing it. That this conversation of sex is somewhat dirty, that it's dangerous, that it's gross, something to be afraid or paranoid of because sexual sin is the worst sin in the universe. And God hates it more than anything else. And if you mess it up, if you mess up sexually, well, there's, there's, pretty, there's pretty, you can't really come back from that, you know, pastor. Because, ooh. Saxon Church, and I don't know, Pastor, but here's the thing: when Jesus spoke about sin, right when he wanted to talk about sin, his primary focus wasn't lust. It was greed, it was hypocrisy, it was pride. Lust for him was neither the most powerful nor the most lethal of sins. Maybe that's why he said that prostitutes, that even prostitutes were entering the kingdom ahead of the Pharisees. Something to think about. Now, hear me out on this, all right? Lust is not necessarily the worst sin. It's just the most popular. It's just the most popular. Can you imagine your grandma's Sin, lust, hmm, hmm, I don't know, right? Because for so long, we have made it taboo to talk about it, something that God has created, sex. So what is lust? Let's start there. What is lust? How is it defined? Lust is the indulging in a physical or emotional fantasy to escape, the work of reality. We are in this incredible growth group, uh, laughing Way to a Better Marriage, um, and we're wrapping it up in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And we've been learning and we've been talking as a group. There's about eight or nine couples that are in there talking about everything, uh, including sex, about marriage, and uh, we're having a great time. And we had just finished talking about some of the things like this. So lust is indulging in a physical or emotional fantasy to escape the work of reality. It wants the rewards of a relationship without the requirements of a relationship. Do You see what I'm saying? It wants the rewards, the benefits of a relationship without the actual requirements, without putting in the work of a relationship. Things like the responsibilities, the attachments, the arguments, the expectations, the implications, the complications. Lust doesn't want any part of it. Lust is, the, is escapism in the form of immediate self gratification. It doesn't think long term. Everything about lust is short term, it lives in the moment. It's impulsive, it's emotional. Lust wants to feel good right here, right now, regardless of what ultimately is good for everyone. Lust longs for something that doesn't actually exist a one sided romance. A one-sided romance with an uncomplicated partner with no real needs of their own whose sole purpose is to make you feel good. Lust imagines you want what I want regardless of what you want. Lust wants a fabricated deal, not something real. A real relationship with a real person is way, way, way too much work here. Because they're going to have wants and they're going to have needs and they're going to have desires and opinions and preferences and boundaries, many of which are very much different than yours. Lust has no patience for that kind of stuff. Lust isn't interested in a caring compromise with someone else. It wants all of its physical and emotional needs met without having to extend the effort necessary to meet someone else's needs. Are you following with me? Maybe some of you are realizing that <laughs> this lust thing is a bit broader than, than you, were, you originally thought. Pastor E is just opening this book uh, uh, about lust. Lust was, was watching some dirty magazine at some point. Now we're describing it and we're getting into a little bit into detail here. Here's the thing. Lust can manifest itself in, in our lives in many different ways. Here are a few of them. Imagining what it would be like to be with someone who, who's everything your partner isn't. Defining someone's worth based on how attractive you find that person. Trying to picture what someone else would look like naked. Wanting your partner to be the sum total of all of your favorite traits. Of all of your favorite people. With none of of their deficiencies. Trolling the internet for moving, uh, moving pictures of naked people doing stuff. Feeling disinterested in your partner's body when compared to others' bodies. Being physical with one person while picturing another. Pressuring someone to do something they find demeaning and derogatory. Placing enormous expectations on your partner while being offended by their expectations of you. You see, we're we're diving deep into this stuff today. Lust isn't about admiring beauty, form, or physique. It's about indulging in a fantasy that looks to take, to possess, or use someone else as a means to its own escapist ends. In other words, taking someone else and bringing them to your fantasy. Church, lust gives you permission to see another person as an object for your consumption or exploitation. A way to get what you want and feel how you want to feel. Lust depersonalizes and dehumanizes others. It's interested in giving the least in order to get the most. Very quiet in here this morning. I'm gonna take a little drink while you pond on that stuff. I'm gonna have some more pillow talk with my wife this weekend. She's gonna say your church is quiet this morning. Here's the thing. We make excuses. We make excuses. Because we excuse ourselves by saying, oh, 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 it can't be bad. It's a natural impulse. That's how God created us. It can't be that bad. It's a craving. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a teenager thing. It's okay. They'll be okay. However, not everything you physically crave is good for you or for the people around you, right? Think about that. Not everything you physically crave is good for you or the people around you. Because a lot of people crave junk food. But indulging in it isn't healthy. I get told that all the time. Lust is just like that. It's obsessed with taste but totally disregards the nutrition. And like fast food, it's enjoyable in the short term, but not fulfilling in the long term. And there are always consequences, but the more you go through a drive through the more you want to keep going through the drive through Lust wants intimacy without risk or responsibility, an outcome which is not possible whatsoever it resists boundaries it wants to go wherever it wants to go whenever it wants to go there but real lasting mutual loving relationship doesn't work without placing boundaries on lust and neither does society if we want relationships our relationships to work there has to be boundaries and you have to address these boundaries on lust, just like in anything else in this world. Church, this has always been true. This is why even in the Old Testament, when God is trying to explain to the ancient tribal, uh, 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 the tribal people how to make life work, one of the ten pieces of guidance was in the commandments when he said, you must not commit adultery. You must not commit adultery. But because people understood it, doesn't mean that they were excited about it. Or as the theologian N.T. Wright said, Moses came down with the tablets from Mount Sinai and said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is, I got him down from 40 to 10. The bad news is adultery is still in there. The reason why that's funny is because we all know adultery is probably not a good idea. But there's part of us that kind of wants to do it. Because part of us thinks it sounds fun. It sounds exciting and dangerous and interesting. And on the surface, it seems way easier to hook up with someone who's not your spouse, then go home and work and make things right with them. Church adultery causes all sorts of problems for people. Affairs break trust. Shatter marriages, cripple people's finances, produce overwhelming insecurities, and create inability or instability for children. These are just to name a few. In other words, what happens in Vegas never really stays in Vegas. There is a cause and effect when we make these decisions It was even more traumatic in ancient cultures when women had no rights. If a woman was caught in adultery, her life was basically over. She was shamed. She was unmarrowable, a a social outcast. And often she and her children were banished with no way to earn money or care for themselves. And of course, that was a long time ago. A lot has changed. And for the better. In our culture, we think, sure, it's, it's wrong for one person to use another person for their, for their own uh, uh, gratification. But if, 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 if both people are using each other, well, that, that's fine. That's fine. There's an app for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of them, actually. And yet, if it's no big deal and nobody gets hurt. Why do we all know people who have been severely wounded by a string of hookups and breakups that weren't supposed to mean anything? But the emotional baggage haunts them to this day. It's prevented them from experiencing the intimacy that they're after. And they carry around images and experiences that they can't escape from or erase. You see, despite how much we want to believe sex is surfacy or, or it's a biological exchange, there's something about it that affects us in a deeper level, in a soul level. Regardless of how much we don't want that to be true, that is indeed what happens. We want to believe we can continually use each other and just walk away. But it doesn't work that way, church. It doesn't work that way. Even in the Old Testament, God wanted something better for people. And when you get into the New Testament, Jesus clarifies and raises the bar just a little bit further. He says in Matthew 5, it's on the screen here. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I say... Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's kind of deep right there. Jesus is saying lust ends up having the same consequences as adultery. To which we all think, what consequences? Who gets hurt in a fantasy? Potentially Lots of people do. First of all, the way you think about people translates into the way you treat people. Ever heard that? Think about the race issue. If we have an issue with race, it will impact the way you treat someone. If you have an imp- uh, a, a problem with the way somebody eats or a problem with the way somebody talks or a problem with the job that somebody has, it will potentially cause you to treat that person differently. So a fantasy is often a rehearsal for reality. The more often you indulge in it mentally, the more likely you are to give into it physically. Do you see how that plays out? The more you give your mind, your thought process into the playing of a a fantasy, and even though it is in your head, it will eventually play itself out physically, In your life, the more you think about what you could have or should have, the less interested you become in what you actually have. We talked about this in my growth group this past Thursday. It is hard to make a connection, it is hard to love, it is hard to be in a relationship with someone that you are actually putting another picture. In front of. This produces all sorts of problems body image issues, eating disorders, arousal issues, impotence, not being able to be present with your partner, living in your head instead of in the moment. Much of the sexual dysfunction, church, intimacy, the arousal, the enjoyment issues people experience all trace back to an unchecked lust. All of which leaves people damaged, leaves people depressed, lonely, and angry. But sure, let's keep telling ourselves nobody gets hurt. It's all in my head. It's my personal thing. Nobody sees it. But when we misuse something habitually, we lose our ability to enjoy it fully. Jot that down because that impacts so many things in our lives. When we misuse something habitually, we lose our ability to enjoy it fully. Think of people who have addictions. And not that you need any more reasons, but lust creates the demand for new, fresh, diverse, erotic imagery, giving rise to all sorts of abuse, assault. Kidnapping, human trafficking, sex workers who feel trapped, less than human, and if as if who they are doesn't even matter. And because Jesus is so against people hurting themselves and others in ways, uh, in any of these ways. He says one of the most abrasive things in the New Testament, Matthew 5 verse 29, he says, so if your eye, if your eye, even your good eye, I have a good eye. I have a good eye. I, good eye. I was looking at the other day. I was going like this. and I was like, This eye is no bueno. All right? So I'm going to close the. Line. So even if my good eye causes you to lust, Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's deep right there. This verse is the reason some Christians have have done some seemingly absurd things just to keep lust at bay. It's important to understand what Jesus is and isn't saying here, all right? What he is saying is this. If it's a problem for you, if you're here this morning and this is a problem for you, go to the extremes to put limits on yourself. Do not sweep it under the rug and pretend like it does not exist. You can look at me and give me your best poker face, and I'm going to be like, oh, okay, cool. But guess what? You're still going to struggle with this. The advice is to gouge out your own eye. It's not to go around gouging out everyone else's eye because it's fair to to assume that whatever is is a problem for you is probably a problem for, for them too. No, that's not how it works. You are personally in charge of fixing it, fixing you. You have the problem. You need to address the issue. You just can't presume that everyone else has the same issue that you have. Jesus wants us to acknowledge our own weaknesses and practice self-control. Self-control. Why? What gives? Because control over our sexual desires helps them serve us. Overindulgence in them forces us to serve them. Think about that. Think about that if we don't acknowledge our weaknesses and practice self-control, then it forces our lust for us to serve lust, for us to, to be slaves to this. We become addicts, slaves to our own impulses. At this point, you may be thinking, man, especially you're a teenager, man, this sex thing is very problematic here, man. There's a lot of issues going on with this stuff. Why would God even design this? Why would he even give this if there was going to be such a problem? It might have been a mistake here. Why do humans have these drives and these impulses? Why does desire generate so much excitement and anticipation in us? Why does this physical act have so many emotional implications and vice versa? What's the purpose? Well, here's the purpose. The purpose of sex is to bond and bind you to a partner to move through life with. The purpose of sex is to bond you and bind you to a partner to move through life with. Someone that will be by your side. Someone that you can share experiences, life experiences with. So for those of you who cut health class or sex ed class, we're going to jump into this right here. All right. Here's, Here's what I'm talking about. So write this on your notes, Sex Ed 101, uh, Pastor E's teacher, okay? The brain, the cabeza, emits chemicals, all right? Emits chemicals when you're physically affectionate with someone to attach you to them. So we got that so far? When you're with someone and it's getting a little steamy in there, Okay, some of you need to bring back the steamy, right, (laughs) and go back in there, right. And so when you are with that one and you're becoming affectionate, physically affectionate with someone, right, it releases, your brain releases these chemicals, right, to help you feel connected and obligated to that person. And sex is fun and feels good, so you'll want to do it with your partner over and over. Got me so far? We comprende? All right? Some of you will be like, why did I pick to choose to come to church today? All right? So the sex is fun. It's great. It's awesome. You, you, it feels good. And, and, and now your partner, you're, you're bonding and you're binding, right? And it's great. Strengthening the bond between the two of you. Strengthening that bond mentally. Strengthening that bond physically and emotionally. Attaching you to one another. Insulating you both. Uh, insulating you both from loneliness and isolation. It's almost like this, this like this zone, this bubble that you're in it, and it feels good, and it is awesome. And this connection, this connection insensitizes you to work through the tough times, the tough issues, the, 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 the things that are going wrong in your relationship, and stay together because the two of you have started to become one. Do You see how this works? When the two of you have become one intimately, and I'll say it just because there are people that are not married here. This this is post-marriage, okay? Just need to clarify that, right? The two of you become one, and you start releasing this this connection that says, man, I'm for you, you for me, we for we. We were created for this. Life is going to be good. We're going to see this thing out. We're going to be together. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to put a smile on each other's face when we're done. Some of you get that, right? Okay. Just just want to make sure. Just got to be clear, right? No matter how much we pretend we just want sex, nobody really buys it. This is what you want. A mutually beneficial partnership. Someone who knows you. Someone who loves you. Someone who supports you. Someone who's going to be there for you. Someone who's going to be open and honest and vulnerable with you and will still be into you as you get older. As you get fattier. As you get saggier. As you get wrinklier. Because... They're the person you've always wanted and you're the person they've always wanted. You are his and he is she's and it's all together. You're all one. This is how it works, supposed to work. So what do we do to combat, fight against this vice of lust? Matthew 5, 8 talks about pure in heart. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, if you don't know the context of where the scripture comes from, it will kind of lead you a little bit to the left. But this is what he's talking about. In Jewish consciousness, the word heart was a reference to the thoughts and the beliefs you meditated on most. All right? These are the things that you focused, that prayed about the most, the feelings. It wasn't a reference on uh, how you feel, but what you focused on. So if your heart is pure, meaning that your thought patterns are pure, it's easier for you to see God, meaning to know and understand and experience God, Real love, because God is love. Lust, like love, is in the eye of the beholder. Does that make sense to you? Love, when we understand what true love is, we see it from the perspective of what God intended. He created it. And when there is love, there is no room for lust. Lust, like love, is in the eye of the beholder. You move toward what you meditate on. You move toward what you're fixated on. You move toward what your desire, what you focus your attention on. Do you know what's amazing about this idea? That if you meditate on, what, on what's amazing about the person that you're with, your spouse, your significant other, their personality, their physical, physical attributes, you're going to want to move toward them. You're going to be more attracted to them. The more you meditate on them, the more you think about them, the more you're going to want to be with them. And if you meditate, if you focus or you fantasize over what's great about someone else, someone else's personality, someone else's physical attributes, well, you're going to move in that direction, closer to that person. So, let me let me wrap it up here. I want to give you four practical ways you can begin to meditate that you can begin to move towards what you meditate on. Okay? You move towards what you meditate on. With that understanding, with that, with that thought process, I'm going to give you four practical things that you can begin to apply to your life right now that will begin to put a distance, put a wedge between you and lust and actually benefit your marriage, benefit your spouse, prepare you for the future. Number one, you can adopt parameters on your thought life, right? Adopt parameters on your thought life. It's not about what you don't want to think about. It's choosing what you do think about. It's not like, oh, my gosh, I can't can't think about it, I can't think about it, I can't think about it, I can't think about it. It's more like, oh, my gosh, I want to think about my wife. She is beautiful. Her eyes, her lips, her hair. Some of you get that, some of you don't. I know, I get it. But it's choosing what you do think about. Bathe your brain in information and images that will move you in the direction of holistic love, not lust. Some of us have to retrain the mind and say, your focus should be your spouse. Your thoughts should be the person that God has given you. Your mind, your heart, your desires should be fixated on that person. The good, the beautiful, the things, the reasons why you got married in the first place. as you fix your heart and your mind and your thought life to the incredible things and the images and the information about your spouse, you're taking a step closer to that person, to being intimate, to seeing everything you originally saw in that person in the first place in the first place you're going to be attracted to them you're going to get giddy again you're going to maybe get a little frisky I'm trying to keep it pg okay number 2 acknowledge your weak moments Acknowledge your weak moments. when and where does your mind drift? What triggers lust for you? Is it certain people? Is it certain places? Is it emotional or physical uh, uh, state? Is it experiences? Is it languages? Is it images or story? What triggers you in the, to be the most weakest and pushes you to lust? Is it internet? Is it the coworker? What are the things that are causing you to stumble and keep you from loving and wanting the person God has given you? Cuz when we acknowledge that we get stronger. We know what to avoid. You can walk down and be like, oh, there goes that person. They're going to need to walk. Through. There's nothing wrong with that. It's funny, but there's nothing wrong with that. Running away from the things that, that, that is going to cause you to stumble. Because today you're running away. Maybe tomorrow it's, you, all you got to do is look away but you're strengthening and addressing the issues and the concerns in your life that is stumbling, that is, that is preventing your marriage to be all that God created it to be. Number three, arrange your environment. In other words, remove or reduce your triggers. Schedule your other things during problematic times. Position yourself around the right kinds of people. Put limits on what you watch and look at and listen to. If you know that when all the lights and everybody is is off to bed and that's where you feel like, oh, I got this time now I can can do and let my mind go crazy, then you need to get to bed earlier. (laughs) You need to set these parameters in place, folks. Reduce those triggers. And lastly, ask someone to hold you accountable. That's probably the biggest one. That's probably the biggest hurdle. Because we don't want to admit, we don't want to confess this struggle. Oh, You know, I'll probably tell someone, man, I just, I got, I just, I got this anger issue. Oh man, I, I just feel like I'm just full of myself, you know, just pride, right? I, you know, man, I'm just just been a lazy bum. I haven't been wanting to do nothing. I need help with that. But telling someone, man, I, I got I got issues with lust. I have an addiction with pornography. I have a, you know, there's this this lady at, at work, and she's kind of like like really good looking, and she looks at me a certain way, and it just makes me feel like a little, you know. It's hard for us to admit to that. We don't want to own up to that kind of stuff because we've made it taboo. Yeah, it's it's wrong, but we need to address it, and you need to address it with someone who's going to hold you accountable for it, someone that's going to stand in your corner and help you out, because willpower doesn't work. Willpower doesn't work. Lust thrives in privacy and isolation. Lustful people feel trapped in their shame, which motivates them to stay in hiding as things escalate. And so the more they feel trapped, the more they want to hide. The more they hide, the further they, and deeper they fall. Because nobody's watching. Nobody's holding them accountable. So you need to ask Someone to hold you accountable. First of all, if you are afraid to tell this to someone, you shouldn't be telling that person anyway. Find someone you trust. Someone whose faith is strong. Someone who's going to lock, lock arms with you and say, man, I am you. I hear you. Let's do this together. And let's get you out of this. Adopt parameters for your life. Uh, Your thought life, acknowledge your weak moments, arrange your environment, and ask someone to hold you accountable. Let's break the chain, folks. Let's break the cycle. Let's not let our numbers be the same numbers as this world. Let's put in the work. Let's submit these to God. Let's ask forgiveness for those moments we derailed. And let's get back on track to loving who God gave us for life.